everybody else, you're in here with me as we continue on in our series, Words of Life, The Commands of Jesus. And I want to begin this morning with a story. And the story goes like this. There was a mom who walks into a podiatrist's office. And the podiatrist says, what seems to be the problem today? And the mom says, oh man, I don't, I don't even know where to begin. I go to work every day, but I don't feel like I know what I'm doing. I don't have any purpose. I don't even understand why I'm there. I don't even think my boss understands what I'm doing there. I go home, I fall asleep in my bed, I wake up in the middle of the night, I roll over and there's this old lady sleeping next to me and I don't even recognize her anymore. And our daughter, she, she, she was sick last year and she died. And my son, I look into his eyes and, and the only thing I can see is my own cowardice reflected. Uh, I feel, Doc, I gotta tell you, I feel like I'm a spider, even though I'm a hawk. Uh, I feel like a spider that's dangling from a web and underneath me are the eternal flames just waiting to swallow me up. So, in short, I'm not doing so well, Doc. And the doctor says, wow, you've got some problems, man. But I'm a podiatrist. Why did you come and see me? And the moth says, well, because your light was on. <laughs> because it illustrates an important point that's going to lead us into the command of Jesus. Jesus is going to illuminate this truth, this general desire that people have to be out of the darkness and into the light. Even in the joke, the mock went to a doctor's office, not because it was a, a psychiatrist, he went to the wrong office, but because the light was on, to get out of the literal darkness and to go where the light was, but also just the emotional darkness that was his life, the things that he had been dealing with. Well, one of Jesus' advice for his followers, and this is good advice, this is a good teaching for anybody, is to walk in the light. So here now what Jesus says to his disciples. John chapter 12, we'll just do the verses 35 and 36 for now. Then Jesus told them, you are going to have the light just a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, before darkness overtakes you. Whoever walks in the dark does not know where they are going. Believe in the light while you have the light, so that you may become children of light. And when he had finished speaking, Jesus left and hid himself from them. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the light of Christ. Thank you for this opportunity to let that light shine into our hearts into our heads, and into our lives. Lord, we as your followers, we are open to you today. And we say, come into our lives and make us who you want us to be. Change us if necessary. Reveal to us things that are hidden in the darkness so that we can be more like Jesus Christ. We thank you for his sacrifice. We thank you for his word. And we pray this prayer in his name. Amen. This is not the first time in Scripture where you hear about this light versus dark dichotomy. At the very beginning of the Bible, 
Remember, when God created, there was darkness. There was chaos. Some Bible translations say there was the earth was formless and void. There was nothing. But the Spirit of God was there, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And the waters, you'll find as you read throughout Scripture, are always a symbol of chaos and disorder. And what we find out from the very beginning of Scripture is that God was there, and he said, you know what we need here? We need some lights. So let's have light, please. And the light existed. The light was separated from the darkness, and God said, hey, light is good. We're going to go with this. You fast forward a few generations, you get the prophet Isaiah talking about Israel and Israel's Messiah being a light for the Gentiles. And in the scriptures that we heard earlier in our service from the Gospel of John, John 1, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. John 3, whoever lives by the truth comes into the light. And the one that George read for us, John 8, Jesus saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And then you can go past the Gospel of John, past the time of Jesus, past our time, where John's revelation tells us at the time of the restoration of all things, when there's the new Jerusalem, the new Eden, when heaven and earth are once again met and married to one another. Revelation 25 says, There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of a sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. You can see that there's a very important and ongoing theme of light and darkness, and this kind of spans all of the Bible. God's light coming into the world and driving out the darkness. And Jesus makes it plain, I am that light. And Jesus here, in this passage that we just heard, is calling his followers to stay close to him. Stay in the light. While I am with you, you need to stay close to this light. It is very, very important. I want to back up a few verses from the verse that we read earlier. If you read Matthew and Luke and Mark, they'll tell us in the Garden of Gethsemane that Jesus is praying. And you might remember this. Jesus saying, Father, remove this cup from me, but not my will, but yours. He was in agony. He was not looking forward to the cross, the separation from his Father. And John gives us this information about Jesus a little bit earlier. We see this here in John chapter 12, just a few verses before the one that we read. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it. Anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Now, my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason that I came to this hour. We see in all four Gospels, Jesus knows that he's going to the cross. He knows that his time with his disciples in person is limited. And in these chapters in John, you get more of a sense of Jesus wanting to make sure that they're ready for the things that are to come. Jesus is desperately making sure that all the things that they need to know are sinking in, which is why in the teen chapters of the Gospel of John, you get a lot of Jesus talking, you get a lot of parting words, you get a lot of instruction about the Holy Spirit, about his relationship with the Father, and Jesus' expectation for Christians in the future. I kind of think maybe the way Jesus was feeling 
toward the end of his ministry, right before the cross, was kind of how I feel about my kids sometimes. I feel like I want them to pick up the things that I'm teaching. I want them to hear what I'm saying and then also do them because the things that I'm saying are important, not just because I am big on the power trip and I want them to obey me, which I do, by the way, but it's because it's for their own good. Lately, I've been having a bit of a struggle with some of my, with some of my, I guess I can say that, with a couple of my youngest kids, uh, Lucy and Leah. Hey, Lucy, how's it going? Good. Hi there. A lot of times when I tell them to do something, I don't get them responding by doing it. I get a reason why they're not interested in doing it. So if I say, Lucy, I need you to pick up that puzzle over there. She'll say, but I was just doing the puzzle. And I'll say, I know you were doing the puzzle. You're not supposed to be doing it. You need to be getting ready for dinner. So please pick it up. And that's fine. I mean, the puzzle can wait. But sometimes it's, Lucy, don't draw in your sister's book. That's not what pens are for. That's not what those books are for. But I was just drawing in her book. Okay, you don't need to make the excuse. This happens over and over and over again lately. We tell them to do something, and instead of obedience, we get, but I was just, but I was just, but I was just. And again, this isn't just for the power trip. What happens if Lucy is playing in the street, and I say, Lucy, there's a car coming. I need you to get out of the street right now. But I was just playing in the street, because I like playing in the street. <gasps> that thought terrifies me. I want her to obey in the puzzle scenario, so that when it really counts, she'll be safe. I think Jesus kind of sees this similarly with his disciples. There's a time, there's a darkness that is coming. There's a test that is coming. And I'm not going to be with you the way that I'm with you now. And I need to make sure that you get what's happening. Jesus tells his disciples, come into the light, stay in the light. He asked them to walk in the light. The darkness is coming and it is real. It is no joke. It is a darkness that devours people. It's a place you don't want to find yourself lost in. I don't know if you've ever been lost in the dark before. This is one of our discipleship questions this week. I encourage you at some point during this week is to get with somebody and tell a story about a time that you were lost in the dark. Where were you? What was, the, what was that darkness like? What, how did you feel when you couldn't see two feet in front of you? Maybe you got turned around. Maybe it was a real physical darkness. Maybe it was a spiritual darkness. A time in your life where you didn't know which way was up and you just had to walk by faith and trust that one step in front of the other would be going in the right direction. I had an experience where I was lost in the literal dark one time. Uh, my buddy Derek Gomer, which a lot of you know, we went out to Yosemite a while back. And uh, here's a picture of us on this Day. I don't know how well you can see it, but this is Taft Point. I've talked to you about Taft Point in the past, but this is sunset. This is a beautiful place to hike out to. And uh, Derek is a photographer, so he said, let's climb up on this ridge. So we're off the main trail. Um, we're, we're way off of Taft Point. We had to hike through the brambles and the bushes, but he sets up his camera with the tripod. He's got the remote, and he says, let's go stand down here, and we're going to get this amazing sunset photograph. We stand there, watch this beautiful canyon, and then click. He gets the photo, and we're all excited. This is a beautiful thing that we got to witness, but now, that's okay. That's the wind. Now, we got to pack up his stuff. Okay, we're packing up the things. That sun was already halfway behind the horizon. Now it's completely gone, and it's getting darker. Not just like there's still some light in the sky, but by the time we have our stuff packed up and we start heading back toward the trail, it's pitch black. And Taft Point is a popular place at Yosemite, but this was like a Thursday 
And by the time we started making our way back to the trail, there was no one around. There were no lights up there. There were, there were trail markers, but they were really hard to see. We start trying to find our way back, and it doesn't take long before we realize we are lost. And I wasn't helping. Derek, he, he knows his way around a little bit better, but I was just kind of going, uh, are we on the right way? I'm just kind of following you. We didn't know if we had passed the trail and missed it. We didn't know if we had not gone far enough. We were completely turned around. But what we both knew was that there was this giant hole that we didn't want to fall into. There's these cliffs that if you take one step too far, you fall 500 feet to your death. This was scary. We started wandering around. I figured, oh, we'll find the trail. After 10 minutes, 20 minutes, I don't know how long it actually was, but it felt like all evening we were looking for this trail. Got to the point where I start to wonder, what kind of animals are up here? Are there mountain lions at this part of the park? Answer, yes. Are there bears that come around here sometimes? Yes. What are we going to do if we have to sleep here? If we have to wait hours and hours for that big light that we have come to trust and rely on so much to illuminate our path? I got really scared. I started remembering statistics about how when people are looking for a missing person, search parties, they'll often call off the search when it's dark just because it starts to become more dangerous for the searchers and because your likelihood of finding somebody you're looking for decrease. I got very, very nervous. That was a scary night. The way that story ends is that uh, Derek and Jacob were both never seen or heard from again. <laughs> no, that's not true. Uh, that's not how it ended. We, Derek, knowing his way around a compass and uh, having been there more than I had, he found our way back to the path. We found a trail marker and we said, oh, phew. Now we started going on the trail. I didn't know if we were going the right way or the wrong way, but I just, I walked and I trusted. And we made our way back and we were really, really relieved. But the point is, it can be terrifying to not know where you are. I used to know where I was. A minute ago, I felt like I was in control and now, not so much. It's terrifying to wonder what dangers are lurking out there in the bushes. It's terrifying to not know whether or not you're on a path that's heading for safety or that's heading for a huge ravine. The light that we need, the light that we become so dependent on, illuminates our world. It gives us our bearings. It tells us what obstacles are ahead. And when you don't have that, you can feel very lost. Well, being in Christ, being in the light, illuminates our lives in a very similar way. Jesus' light helps us navigate our world and our circumstances. It helps us know where we are and where we're going. It helps us avoid certain obstacles and pitfalls, some that we know about and some that we didn't even know were there. And Jesus' light brings those who are frightened and lost and groping around in the darkness back home again. It's important to, to know the light of Christ, to have the light of Christ, and to be near it. And I think one of the reasons that Jesus was so concerned that his disciples really got this before his departure was because he knew that the work of the church, which was the ministry of Jesus, continued on in the men and women who followed Jesus. An important part of that was being the light of Christ in the world. And then here we go to this classic passage from the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus says, You are the light of the world. Everybody turn to somebody behind you and point at them and say, you are the light of the world. So now you know who we're talking about. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. 
that would not make sense. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. Why are we talking about this? Here's the lesson. In the same way, let your light shine. Turn to that same person, point at them and say, let your light shine. Let your light shine, your light, your light. Let it shine before others so that they may see your good deeds and not clap for you, but what? It's on the screen. You can read it. Glorify your Father in heaven. That was terrible. Let's all read this together. That they may see your good deeds. Oh, it's not on the screen. Sorry. Who's, hey, Dick, can you get us those words back there? I'm sorry. That was, that was unfair of me. Oh, here it comes. Ready? That they may see your good deeds and... So we're shining the light of Christ, but it's not the light of Jacob. It's not the light of, hey, what a good dude. We should follow him. He seems to have a light. It's the light of Christ that illuminates the way for others, and it glorifies God in heaven. And it's a reflected light. You guys might remember time not too long ago when I held a giant mirror up here, and I shined it out. It's a reminder that we are these reflectors of the light of Christ into the world. It's not just like a mirror, but it's also kind of like the moon. We go, wow, that's a great big light. We're sure glad that we have that at night. But we all know that's a reflected light. That's not the light of the moon. That's the light of the sun. And then we're going to jump to John, 1 John, where we get a little idea about what this looks like in a practical sense. The way we treat others, it turns out, is kind of a measuring stick of where we are in proximity to the light of Christ. So listen to how John talks about having a heart for loving others is related to this ongoing spiritual battle between light and darkness. He puts it like this. Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. This is important. You can leave that up there, uh, Dick. Sorry. <laughs> He's doing double duty. He's going back and forth. Dick, Dick Jones is the man. I don't know if it, this... I'm not exactly sure how this applies or this works. It's almost like a chicken or the egg thing. I don't know if that means that if you're in the light of Christ, then loving your brother or sister becomes easier. Or if it means that the more you love your brother or sister, the more you are drawing nearer to the light of Christ. I'm not sure which one comes first or which one impacts the other one. And maybe the answer is yes, both. But what we do see here is that John says, uh, you think you're in the light of Christ and you have hate in your heart towards somebody? Nope. Those two things don't coexist. They don't work together. But what we also see in this verse is that you can claim that you are walking in the light, but it turns out you actually aren't. You can be like Jacob and Derek with our little cell phone lights, wandering around up on the edge of that ravine at Taft Point going like, I think we're good. I think we have enough light here. We can find our way. Not so much. So the command to be in the light and to shine the light of Christ requires us to examine our hearts. 
to shine a very, very bright light on the dark places where we might be hiding feelings toward people that frustrate us or exhaust our patience. Oh, yeah, yeah, I love them. Oh, yeah, I love everybody. I don't have hate in my heart. This is the time where we can say, Lord, shine this light. Reveal to us what is missing because we don't want to claim to be in the light. Go out and think, hey, we're shining the light of Christ, but it's actually not illuminating anything. It's not actually reflecting the light of Christ. Sometimes we confuse the feeling of love with the action of love. We think, well, this person drives me crazy and I don't feel fondly toward them. So I'm not going to pretend like I do. That would be dishonest. That's how we feel. Sometimes we think if I don't feel something, then I'm not going to respond with appropriate loving actions. But what if you flip that and we remember that, hey, love is action. Love is movement. Love is a choice that you make to love even those who are challenging. Love the people that aren't necessarily candidates of being your BFF anytime soon. Love them. Show love. Look at the example of Jesus who laid down his life for people who didn't love him. Lay down his life for people who may never come to love him or appreciate him or bend the knee toward him. This is an important lesson for us as followers of Christ. We want to be in the light. We can't have hate toward our brother or sister. Those relationships need to be reconciled. Those attitudes that we keep in the darkness where nobody can see them and nobody can challenge us on them need to be exposed by the help of God's Spirit and our own efforts. And the reason this is important is because somebody, my guess is that somebody you know is going to come up to you someday, probably soon, they're going to come to you and they're going to share with you about the darkness that they're living in. They're going to say things like, I have anxiety, I have fears. If I'm honest, I do. I have hatred in my heart toward specific people. They'll describe to you feelings of abandonment or isolation or uncertainty or fear. They'll tell you that they are wandering around in the darkness. And if they're honest enough and if you're a good listener enough, it might make you uncomfortable. It might be some really, really heavy stuff to the point where you say, man, you got some problems, but why did you come to me? Why aren't you talking to a counselor? Why aren't you talking to a priest? Why did you knock on my door? And they're going to tell you because your light was on. Because I see something in you. Like that moth, just attracted to the light. I don't really know why I'm here, but, but, but here I am. They may not be able to articulate it, but what they're describing is the light of Christ that's reflected in you in the way that you love, even when you don't feel it, in the way that you're patient, in the way that we live out the commands of Jesus, who is our, who's our master, our Lord, and we're just trying to follow him. We're trying to imitate his compassion. People will notice that. They will see that your light is on. Let's pray again. Lord God, may your light shine more brightly in our lives. Let us walk in the light of Christ. Let us share that light with others. May we, by drawing closer to you, increase the brightness of the light that is reflected off of us so that others can see and others can come out of the darkness. God, we pray for healing. We pray for spiritual renewal. We pray for 
a renewed inspiration to, to walk in that light, to share the love of Christ with people, to let people know how wonderful they are and how much you love them, how much you know them, and the greatness of the sacrifice that Jesus made for them. God, I pray for the Tri-Valley Church. Thank you for the light that is shining in this room today, but I, I'm, I'm excited and I'm grateful for the fact that this light is going to be dispersed. A city built on a hill that is not hidden. A light that is not hidden underneath a bowl. But that light is going to go into different parts of this city and this valley. It's going to shine the light of Christ. And I pray that more and more people will see Jesus because of that. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to invite you to stand as our praise team comes back up here and leads us in a song reminding us to shine the light of Christ and let that light shine in our lives. If there's a darkness that is in your life, I, I try to be a good listener. I, I, I try to be there for folks. Uh, my door is open if you need to talk. Uh, I'll just sit and listen and I will pray for you. We're going to share some prayer requests that have come in after this song. Uh, but I just want you to know that that door is open. Uh, if you want, if you want to pray, if you want to meet up with somebody, let's sing. <laughs>